there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news about cryptocurrency. I was wondering if you could give us a quick 30 second of what cryptocurrency is and what blockchain is. So our viewers are here for the first time. Introducing the protectors inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello everybody, this is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the IAFCI. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with our International President, Mark Solomon. Mark, how you doing today? Hello, Mr. President. I mean, Mr. Chairman. I'm sorry. I'm getting right. still getting used to these roles. So same here. Uh, I got to get used to calling you International President Mark Solomon, but we'll get it. Hey, it's different titles, but it's the same show, same podcast. So we're we're excited to kick off another podcast in 2023, and uh, it's going to be a great uh, show. Yeah, you know, Mark. For our listeners, you know, I, I served as president for two terms, and. Uh, now you are our new international president for the next two years, and uh, we're glad to have you on board. Uh, we, we're excited to have you as our international president of the IFCI. Hey, we're going strong. I mean, we're, I think we're at about 6,700 members, and uh, you're the perfect person to take us forward. So, Mark, congratulations. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, talk about good news. Uh, the podcast is also doing tremendously well. Our viewership is up. And uh, I'll tell you, we're getting a lot of great feedback from the public and from our IFCI uh, members. So, But Mike, you know what? Enough about us. I'm actually really excited about our next guest. This is the first and the third for this guy. All right. It's the first time we've had a person come on the show for the third time. So that tells you how much we love this guy. He's brilliant. When it comes to cryptocurrency, when it comes to blockchain, when it comes to fraud investigations and dealing with these, this is the man. I'll tell you, we love him. So, you know, normally I'd give a long intro, but I want to get right into our topics tonight. Uh, but our next guest is Michael Fascinello. He is the crypto compliance officer for AmChain AI. And Mike, welcome back, brother. How are you? Thank you so much for having me back, uh, Mark. Mike, congratulations on the uh, recent promotions within my AFCI. I am uh, thrilled to be back for my third time. Uh, it's amusing to me that every time I'm on the podcast with you guys, I'm with a different firm. Uh, so we're all celebrating new things here, and, uh, and I'm really excited for today's conversation. Thanks. Hey, you know, Mike, I was a little hesitant bringing you on the show again because uh, this is a topic that my son knows more about than I do, and it's embarrassing. But uh, it's such a great topic. Yeah, the one thing about crypto is uh, – Every day something new comes up. So, yeah, I think he was doing a little investment into into crypto, but I got him though. He didn't know the uh, starting lineup for the A four Cubs. I knew that. He didn't know that, so I got him back. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's great to have you on. So, Mike, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news a lot about cryptocurrency, uh, some arrests. So we wanted to bring you back on the show. And again, this is your third time being with us. We love it. And our audience loves all the knowledge that you bring about this topic. So I was wondering if you could just maybe recap a little bit, give us a quick 30 second of what cryptocurrency is and what blockchain is. Uh, so for our viewers are here for the first time. Yeah, so basically blockchain is, is the underlying technology which is used by nearly all cryptocurrencies. Blockchain is essentially a complete uh, digitalized ledger of transactions that is held simultaneously by a decentralized uh, network of what we call nodes. 
And so it's, it's as opposed to the, uh, the centralized way that we've been doing finance for so many years, you know, where there's intermediaries and there's connections between banks and their, uh, their intermediaries and the customers and from customer to customer, business to business, blockchain allows that to be decentralized uh, with a distributed ledger. So it cuts out the middleman, cuts down on fees. It just makes it a basically more pure transaction from one party to another. Cryptocurrency, of course, runs on blockchain. Crypto is uh, a digital asset that can be used as a store of value or a medium of exchange. Uh, you could use it for goods or services. Um, those transactions, of course, are verified and recorded using the blockchain, but using cryptography as a means of basically encrypting or securing the transactions. And when people say crypto, a lot of times they mean cryptocurrency, but you know, a purist or an academic would tell you crypto actually is, a, is an acronym for cryptography, which is a method of keeping information secret and secure by scrambling it. Hey, Mike, I got to consider myself a senior, but maybe for younger generation, including like my son, is this something that they should look at cryptocurrency in their financial planning for the future, especially now with all the inflation that's out there? Is this something that uh, they should look into? So I think, uh, you know, a crypto purist would tell you that this is meant to be a means of getting the government out of your business, uh, hedge against inflation, a new asset, much like gold, but uh, less cumbersome. You know, it's not heavy. It's not it's really not physical at all. So, you know, cross-border transactions, uh, much easier, much faster. Everything is just basically better with it, purportedly. The problem has been volatility. Uh, Two things, really, volatility and security. So we're seeing massive volatility in the space. We're currently deep, deep into a crypto winter, uh, I think worse than we've ever seen before in the uh, in the market. At the same time, we're coming off of 2022, which was arguably one of the worst years from a crypto and blockchain security standpoint as well. And we'll get into that later on, I'm sure. So, Mike, you talked about this volatility, and it may lead into our kind of our next topic here, and that's uh, FTX. And can you give us a little picture of what was going on last year uh, with some of the cryptocurrencies and then kind of fill us in a little bit about FTX and the downfall of FTX? Yeah, so FTX was, uh, you know, it started as a startup, uh, quite frankly, Binance, uh, which arguably kind of triggered a piece of the FTX meltdown. Binance was a heavy uh, investor at the beginning. They ended up growing to roughly the same size and ended up being two industry titans uh, operating side by side, basically from the competitors. Um, FTX, I think, was lacking a lot of the uh, governance and oversight that uh, that traditionally would be you know, pretty obvious, quite frankly, for uh, financial firms acting as brokers and fiduciaries and things like that. Um, and this is one of the concerns about the industry now is not that it's not regulated because it's regulated by some certain things on the books like anti-money laundering, money services business, things like that. But the, the lack of oversight and regulation in terms of consumer protection and internal governance and things like that are not uh, they're not as uh, easily enforced because they're they're not on the books like like these other laws, and so FTX basically was you know a, a very youthful C suite, um, you know twenty something thirty somethings running what ended up being a large conglomerate crypto exchange in the digital asset space. Everything was good and fine until they basically started commingling assets with different subsidiaries. So they had an exchange arm which was FTX. They had a trading arm which was Alameda Research. Uh, and these were, you know, these were two two uh, subsidiaries that were basically taking customer funds in through the exchange, um, and the exchange was using those customer funds basically as a backstop or collateral for loans that were run through Alameda, 
uh, it became a very incestuous relationship with the customer funds. And as a result of that, lack of a point of compliance officer, lack of proper internal controls, uh, the over-leveraging of the customer funds on certain trades, uh, which ended up not going in Alameda's favor, basically triggered a situation where there was a liquidity crisis. Eventually, I was discovered by people in the industry, including finance. Whether you want to consider it you know, a, a purely tactical move by finance or not, uh, the, the word got out that there might be liquidity problems. And in a nutshell, a you know old-style bank run happened in the crypto industry and basically started the meltdown of FTX. Yeah, it was funny. It sounded like when things started to fall apart, it was uh, right after an article by CoinDesk that started questioning the you know liquidity of FTX. Is that correct? Yeah, precisely. There's a couple of different dates uh, that you can point back to as being uh, pretty key in the, in the meltdown timeline, if that's what you want to call it. So November 2nd, CoinDesk basically exposed FTX and Alameda Research as having a liquidity issue. Uh, under collateralized uh, November 6th, Binance uh, actually announced that it was considered uh, considering acquiring FTX. Uh, then after you know doing some due diligence into it, they discovered that it wasn't you know as secure a place as, as they even hoped during an acquisition. Uh, so they actually killed off the deal. Uh, November 11th, the FTX family of companies filed for bankruptcy. So that's the, the real quick and dirty timeline there. Hey, Mike, I got to ask you, I recently saw, I believe it was on Netflix, the story behind the Ponzi scheme ran by uh, Bertie uh, Madoff. Do you think uh, what's going on with FTX is going to be bigger than that? Because the loss of victims on that Ponzi scam was in the billions. It is significantly bigger. And as a result of that, if you looked at the uh, you know the bail and the bond that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was offered as, as part of his turning himself in, uh, coming over from the Bahamas and coming to New York, to the Southern, Southern District of New York's uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, um, the uh, the bail uh, that he or the bond that he had to post was significantly higher than Bernie Madoff's to uh, to go on uh, on home arrest. And the the amazing thing is he did post bond and he's he's out on bond, so I guess he's not not completely poor yet. You know, everybody kept saying, "Oh, it's so much like Madoff. Oh, it's going to take down crypto." Blah blah blah. Uh, you know, my answer to that was, uh, you know, Wall Street survived Madoff, and uh, and the crypto industry will certainly survive Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah. And what do you think it was about, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, when it comes to why everybody was drawn to him so quickly? I mean, he he turned out being one of the, you know, youngest people uh, to be worth billions of dollars at the age of thirty. You know, what do you think drove people to this, uh, to FTX and, and their willingness to invest? I think that it's the same, uh, you know, it's a very similar, almost a parallel situation as Madoff. Because, you know, Madoff was was like the darling of Wall Street, too, right? So he had all these, he was very prominent. He had all these uh, key relationships, uh, was very cozy with the regulators. Uh, so was Sam Bankman-Fried. Arguably, this was one of the, on its face, most, you know, highly compliant registered licensed exchanges all over the world. Their subsidiaries made sure to get in place their their licenses, registrations, and have everything, you know, on paper the way it needed to be versus other exchanges like finance, like other ones, uh, you know, that that really didn't cozy up to regulation and sort of were like, this is a new era, this is a new, new asset, we're not going to play the same games that traditional finance has. Bankman Freed did that on paper. The problem was what we call a, a lack of a culture of compliance where, okay, you understand uh, that you need to be licensed and registered, but you also at the same time need to have a chief compliance officer, continuous monitoring transactions. You're not supposed to be certainly commingling uh, you know, customer exchange funds with your trading arm. 
you know, and using them to, to you know, backstop, uh, you know, personal loans and things like that. So that's where things got really gritty. A lot of people point to, you know, crypto as being the problem for the FTX meltdown. It's not the technology. It's not the asset. It was the people involved. This is a yeah. very, very traditional form of, uh, of criminal activity and finance. It, was, it had nothing to do with crypto other than the asset leverage. Hey, Mike, let me ask you. So as an investigator, you try to follow the money. So say somebody opens up a fraudulent account, put some checks or fraudulent uh, items into the account, and then they withdraw the money through maybe wire transfers or Zelle payments, things like that, or P2P payments. Is it just as easy to follow the money if cryptocurrency is involved? Are we able to follow where the money's going? Cryptocurrency is arguably one of the most transparent ways uh, that finance and the flow of funds can be traced. You can liken this to uh, if you or I had the serial numbers registered from the dollar bills in our wallets and then spent them at various stores. The stores reported those serial numbers to the government, and the government was able to trace those back to us. Uh, it's a little different with crypto only because there is not the personally identifiable information that PII and, of course, investigators are well aware of, uh, which normally accompanies KYC and things like that. So, you know, when you open a bank account, you go through the KYC verification process, the USA Patriot Act, all those different compliance uh, processes. With blockchain, it's called pseudo-anonymity. Uh, it's pseudonymous is what we call it. Uh, and that's because the date, time, uh, value of the transaction, as well as the to and from address are all available. What's not available, of course, is the PII on both ends of that unless you go through compliance exchanges. And, uh, Mike, I wanted to also follow up, too, when it comes to FTX here, is is right around the time of, of them filing for bankruptcy, there was uh, articles and information out there that FTX got hacked uh, right around the same time. Do you have any insight into that, or is that extremely suspicious that there was a hack uh, immediately around the bankruptcy fi- uh, filing? There's been uh, been debates on both sides about whether that was a, uh, a hack done by former employees of the firm, uh, whether or not it was Sam Bankman for himself. Some of it was attributed to uh, internal transactions that were done at the behest of the uh, the Bahamian government because they wanted to secure some of the assets. Once Sam Bankman Free let them know what was going on, they said, "Well, you know, shift some of those assets over to us right right now as this thing's going down, so we can secure these for creditors." So there's been a lot of um, confusion and some obfuscation, you know, with those funds, and we're still trying to figure it out at this point. Yeah, I know it's ongoing, so I'll have to wait and see. Hey, Mike, I did a little research on FDX also, and I was just looking that it, they said that their peak value was thirty-two billion dollars before they filed for bankruptcy. I mean. I'm just trying to get a grasp. The $32 billion, what, what was that? Was that in a safe somewhere or just that's out in the digital world? I mean, how did it go from $32 billion to filing for bankruptcy? So I think part of the $32 billion was, uh, you know, the inflated liquidity based on uh, – imagine, you know, like the Fed prints our U.S. currency. Uh, FTX was able to mint its own native tokens. And a lot of times what they would do is they would take in the customer funds, they would transfer the customer funds over to Alameda. Alameda would then backstop either loans in U.S. you know U.S. Uh, values uh, dollars or they would uh, issue FTT loans. And so it became almost a snowball effect. So I think that the $32 billion was largely inflated in terms of the actual uh, use of the native token. Um, but my understanding was when it came down to it, it was about nine billion in liabilities that they had no way of uh, paying when it came to collateralization. 
You mentioned Alameda, and and what was the role Alameda played in the relationship with FTX, and uh, who was running that uh, subsidiary of FTX? Yeah, so Alameda was uh, was run by Carolyn Ellison. Uh, she was, uh, my understanding, is the former paramour of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and also former co-worker. They both worked at James Street together as traders. Uh, and so she ran the trading subsidiary of FTX Exchange itself. And is Alameda solely a cryptocurrency sort of hedge fund? Yeah, my understanding is it, is it was a crypto trading firm that operates largely like a hedge fund like you're talking about. Hey, Mike, I got to ask you, I was at a presentation last week from Homeland Security. They mentioned that like a token is worth about 21000 to date. Is that true? Uh, it depends on which asset you're talking about. Is it Bitcoin? Is it- uh, Bitcoin. Yes, correct. It's fluctuated. It went to uh, to a low recently, about fifteen thousand, and now it's back up. It's it's hit a little bit of a spike. People are wondering if it's uh, a fake jump or if this is going to be the beginning of the next bull run. And Mike, you know, obviously, I know you're not personally involved in the investigation uh, with FTX, but for our listeners that are either investing in cryptocurrency or looking to invest. There had to been some red flags here, uh, things that probably should have been picked up by those investors that invested in him. Uh, do you have any great tips for our audience to say, hey, listen, here's some things that you should do, research, whatever. And if you see certain things happening, it should make you think twice. I think it's hard for the consumer side to see those red flags, particularly in this case, because uh, it would have been something that would have been more the burden uh, on the investors in FTX to realize, you know, we're, we're talking about very large names, uh, and I'm sure you know we've seen them out there and the reading is done. But uh, they would have been the ones to really uh, have done the due diligence on FTX and start asking the questions that would have been the red flags. You know, we usually advise, uh, and of course, you know, we're not we're not financial advisors, uh, but or nor legal advisors, but. Uh, you know, what we always try to encourage people to do is do their own due diligence and safeguard their own assets. You know, there's there's the atism in digital assets, not your keys, not your coins. Uh, so I'm a large advocate of self-custody, cold storage, uh, which means basically, you know, having your own hard wallet, also known as a cold wallet, which means that there's a there's a wall between that and the Internet. It's a, you know, it's its own yeah. storage device. And basically what you want to do is just make sure that you're in control of the mechanism that allows transactions to take place. And so with these exchanges, these online exchanges, what people have to realize is if you're going to put large amounts of money, particularly savings, uh, investment, even for speculation, but if it's a large sum, you know, it's very risky to have somebody else uh, with access to that beside yourself. And uh, as we saw, even with Celsius, Celsius, Celsius and Voyager were two Two big ones uh, that also melted down a little bit earlier in 2022. We're seeing uh, from a legal perspective, the courts are now dropping opinions that say, sorry, you know, if you invested your your funds with Celsius, now that they're going through bankruptcy, you're not considered a, a direct creditor. And those are actually Celsius's funds, uh, you know, that, that were lost and you basically just, you know, loan them to them. So it's a really interesting situation that we now the courts are viewing uh, customer uh, and, and consumer investments in digital assets. So. Uh, self-custody is definitely the best way to go. And uh, one follow-up in your answer there, you talked about a cold wallet. There are three different types of wallets, if I remember correctly, from uh, some recent training, Mike, or uh, can you explain to our audience the different types of wallets and what are the advantages or potential disadvantages? Yeah, so there's there's a variety of wallets out there. I mean, there's cold storage, there's hot storage, there's uh, paper wallets, there's brain wallets, there's all kinds of different wallets out there, depending upon the medium that you're using. The two most popular are cold storage and hot storage. 
Hot storage is whenever you are basically using a hosted wallet that's attached to the internet. It's custodied by basically a larger entity. Uh, and there's basically an intermediary between you and your account. It's, you know, yourself interacting with your mobile application or the online exchange. And you're having to interface with that in order to uh, transact and make transactions or, or authorize transactions on your funds. Um, with cold storage, you basically are safeguarding the private keys that enable the uh, authorization of transactions so that only you have access to those private keys. It still operates a little bit with the online interface and that you have to uh, have an application or go on the computer and actually access it from a website or from, you know, from a desktop application. But that application cannot function solely uh, as a means of authorizing transactions. It will always ping you for your private key in order to authorize the transaction, which is not the case with hot storage. Mark, there's a fourth wallet. It's the George Costanza wallet, you know, where you open up your wallet and everything flies out. Uh, here, here goes Mike's attempt at comedy again. Uh, sorry. want to apologize to our audience right now. That one uh, that failed miserably. It's all right. <laughs> so, hey, uh, Mike, another question, too, is is when we talk about um, the password for a wallet or, you know, the, I'm using a very plain term of it. If people were to see this, uh, it, it is like a long chain of digits and, and letters. But Mike and I learned recently that some people choose to use a, a series of words instead of using that uh, very complex letters and, and digits. Could you explain what that is? So that's called the seed phrase. And the seed phrase is basically associated with your private key. It's a, it's a two-key process. You've got a, a private key and a public key. You know, you're using the seed phrase as a authorization mechanism to interact with your private key. Uh, and, and actually enable the transactions. This is very much like a safety deposit box. It's very much like a, a U.S. post office box. Of course, you have a you have a safety deposit box number. You have a PO box number. That's going to be your public address or your public key. And then the actual physical key that you would get at those boxes in the digital world, we're considering that your private key or your seed phrase. Um, and so the seed phrase is basically it's almost like a shortcut to your private key. And the seed phrase can be twelve words. It can be twenty four words. And this is a phrase that you have to have the exact uh, number of words, but you also have to have them in the precise order mm -hmm. uh, in order to activate this key. So a lot of people at the beginning of crypto, you know, they were being a little bit lackluster with these things, storing them on like pieces of paper, you know, they would get lost, they would go through the laundry, they would get you know, lost in a home fire or something like that. People didn't realize how, uh, how essential it was to, to, you know, to really secure those private keys. So nowadays, and I, I love to you know, tell this story to the students when I run training classes, is we have this beautiful, magnificent, cutting-edge technology that we're using to do real-time transactions across borders in you know, transact uh, financing ways we never were before. And yet, we're, we're basically safeguarding the key to these transactions by now inscribing it into metal. Like people will actually uh, inscribe into metal their private key and then store this thing like in a lockbox. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> wow. Hey, Mike, can I ask you as an investigator, you know, a lot of these scams are still the same, you know, your romance scam, uh, but getting the funds out might be different, you know, cash withdrawals and sending it to the bad guy or P2P payments. But one of the investigators out of our office had a case where a person got involved in a romance scam and they were sent cash or they took cash out of their own account and it went to an ATM Bitcoin machine and inserted the cash to put into a wallet. 
I mean, this person was doing so much that they had a chair set up for her where she was doing the ATM so she could sit down because she was there so often. I guess my first question is, say that victim finds out, oh, my God, I'm involved in a romance scam. Is there any way to get that money back? Or is it like a P2P? Once you send it, it's gone. Uh, with the blockchain, the, the biggest vulnerability is once something's gone, it's gone. Once the transaction has happened, it can't be clawed back. The best case scenario is, for example, with, uh, you know, really with uh, victims of a lot of these types of scams, you know, one of the newest ones is pig butchering. It's the crypto version of romance scams called pig butchering. They basically fatten up the victim for the kill. What they'll do is they will lure the victim into a uh, trusted relationship. They'll convince them to trust them with their finances in the sense of, let me let me show you how to invest this and we'll, we'll get you a 5% or a 10% return, 15% return. Uh, so they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll tell you they can get this return for you. And, you know, they'll prove that to you. So you'll give them $3,000 and they'll get you a 5% or 10% return on that. And that will show up in your account. And they'll do this a couple of times with smaller, you know, considerably smaller amounts than they really want. So you'll do this a couple of times and incrementally the value will get larger and larger until they really will you into a big fat deposit. And then boom, they, they walk away. It's an exit scam. They just, they just found me up for the kill. That's why it's called pig butchering, but that's the, that's the modern day crypto enabled romance scam. And Mike, you said something earlier too, and I want our audience to hear this too, because a lot of times you hear about cryptocurrency and sometimes you only hear about the bad things and it, you know, it involves a fraud or a crime or a Ponzi scheme. But, you know, you made a, a great point to say that there's nothing evil about cryptocurrency, right? I mean, it's, it's the user, it's the person that is committing the crime. There's tons of legitimate reasons. There's, a, you know, benefits to using cryptocurrency. So, you know, I don't know if you could speak a little bit more to our audience about that yeah it's you know what, what it really comes down to is education uh, it's a new technology well newer technology i mean it's arguably been around for over a decade but i think for most people uh when you're looking towards general adoption or mainstream adoption of this stuff you know it, it's largely new and people are just getting warm to it and the problem is you're getting people who are finally coming around to, to the concept of digital assets and cryptocurrency the problem is they're really over-investing or they're, they're putting too many eggs in one basket. You know, If you're using this as an investment opportunity, don't make it a large portion of your portfolio. If you're using it to transact day-to-day, you know, you're not going to want to store this stuff in cold storage because it's, it's very difficult to use the cold storage wallets in day-to-day transactions. But if you're storing it like a bank account, like a savings account, use cold storage. If you're doing it from day to day, don't put all your money in one, you know, one crypto, uh, one online exchange or one crypto wallet. You want to have this stuff spread out so it's not all in one location. You don't want to have honeypots, basically. You know, so it's it's just really a matter of educating users, helping them understand how the technology works, how to safeguard things themselves. It really, you know, Gary Gensler once called it the Wild West. I think that that's not really a bad a bad assertion. It is the Wild West. And in the Wild West, you know, you're basically responsible for your own self-care. Uh, so in this case, it's just one of those things where, you know, the, the user has to do their own due diligence, just like anything else, buying a car, you know, picking a doctor, things like that. You know, one thing that, that I'm not here for and Ann Shane is out here for to do is to provide the, the needed training to be able to educate uh, not just the consumers and law enforcement, but also legislators. I mean, we've, we've seen legislative fence-sitting in the United States for the better part of the last three years, where we could have made huge strides in actually getting a simple digital assets regulatory framework in place. So, Mike, are you saying that uh, cryptocurrency is here to stay? It is absolutely here to stay. Uh, you're seeing you know, every other week a new enterprise, a uh, new institution is, is adopting this stuff. BlackRock's into it. JP Morgan Chase is into it. 
Uh, Goldman was looking at it. A bunch of the big banks are into it now. Uh, you know, Bank of America has a whole crypto, you know, digital assets task force basically to study this stuff and see what products and services they can develop on it. It's not going away. Um, maybe you'll see a ton of coins, you know, a ton of different, uh, you know, alternative coins. Uh, you know, so you'll see a bunch of altcoins uh, die off. Uh, Bitcoin is here to stay. Blockchain is here to stay. So. And uh, Mike, one question to you mentioned legislature and it just, you know, when I think of the FTX stories, obviously there was a lot of donations that came from FTX uh, to both sides of the political aisle. And again, the show is not about politics, but was there anything that those recipients could have done to, to see uh, or determine that this money was not legit? You know, they, they wouldn't have had that kind of insight into the organization, right? It's it's the internal corporate structure and, and corporate governance or lack thereof uh, that was really at the heart of that meltdown. So, no, they weren't at fault in, in you know, basically recognizing dirty money and taking it. To the contrary, what I would like to see is, uh, you know, anybody that, that received that kind of uh, donations or charity, you know, if, if they received it and they haven't spent that money, it would be great if they could pitch that back into the... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the help to... Yeah. I mean, we've got so many legislators. Come on, like you know, their campaign coffers are full. They they can afford to give back those donations. But well, let, let's see. We see what happens in the long run. I think when more and more information comes out about this uh, scheme, uh, you know, maybe you'll see uh, people do the right thing. I hope. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I got to ask you as an analyst: Are there any tools out there that could assist law enforcement without giving away any like trade secrets, anything like that? But are there tools out there to assist law enforcement? Yeah, so uh, we've got a variety of things cooking up uh, in Anchain AI. We've, we've got your, uh, you know, your run-of-the-mill blockchain uh, intelligence. You've got the uh, the blockchain forensics platform. Ours is called CISO, but it's uh, it enables you to trace transactions on the blockchain. Uh, you can track them, trace them, graph them, you know, do all that stuff. Um, then we've also got a couple of uh, really unique tools to smart contracts. We have the ability to audit smart contracts now, where you can boil down you know, the engineered coding uh, and, and into basically plain language and understand how that contract is operating uh, so that once you start to trigger it with a, with a financial transaction, you know, you can see exactly what's going to happen. So that's a huge uh, improvement in the space. Uh, we also have some, uh, some automated analytics, automated blockchain analytics through our BEI uh, API. So it enables you to do continuous transaction monitoring without having to manually review each transaction. And lastly, we, of course, we offer you know, a full program of, uh, of blockchain digital assets training through our Anshane.ai uh, University. Oh, because I was going to ask you, Mike, about your company. It seems like you're law enforcement friendly. You offer training. You could provide assistance to law enforcement if they got a case, they're looking for a direction. You're, you're able to do that too? Yeah, we are We are very comfortable assisting law enforcement with their investigations. We have uh, federal partners. We're looking at uh, local and state partners as well because we're finding that the feds are on the cutting edge of the technology. They just may have like personnel and, and uh, budget resource constraints, but they're they're good with the technology. Um, we still train them, and they still they still ask us for the training. But there's a huge deficit in state and local law enforcement for this type of you know cyber-enabled financial crime. The amount of times that I have a victim come to me and say, uh, "I went to my local police. I went to my state AG's office. I said, you know, I was scammed. Uh, you know, I lost close to three three hundred thousand dollars. Some of these people are losing like that at a time." You know, they come back and say, we can't help you. We don't we don't have the technology. We don't understand it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, it's 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 really sad. And so uh, we're doing everything we can now to get this training out there so that it can help law enforcement, uh, legislators, and also consumers understand what the heck they're doing in digital assets. 
Yeah, Mike, uh, you know, I was a little stubborn, but you know what? You're never too old to learn, you know, and I'm starting to learn about cryptocurrency. You know, it's an interesting, you know, the whole concept of a cryptocurrency, but I'm starting to get the hang of it, starting to learn about it. Yeah, and the great thing is, you know, we, we offer the training that, you know, if, if you want to learn this stuff yourself, if you want to become more comfortable, more familiar with it on a personal basis, you could do that. But we also offer the services and the platform, uh, you know, tools so that if you just need help with an investigation, you call us up, we can help you with the investigation. Uh, you know, if you need it on an ongoing basis, if you need it on a case-by-case basis, the tools and the experts are there. So you don't have to become an expert if you don't want to. If you do, that's great, and we'll teach you that. But if, you know, if you just want to basically secure assistance on a case, just like anything else, we've got experts that can help. Mike, you know, our listeners and Mike and I could listen to you for hours and hours, like I said, upon end, but I don't want to take too much of your time up. Uh, You've been gracious to come on the show again, but you know, we have a lot more stuff to discuss. I mean, just some of the things you brought up in this podcast, you know, there's other frauds and and other crimes have been going on. You had the uh, guilty verdict of the one coin uh, co-finder we didn't even get to. So I'd hate to ask you for a fourth time, but can we twist your arm to come back on and do a little part two and and continue on with this conversation? I'd be delighted to come back for a fourth time. And quite frankly, I've got no no lack of information because, you know, I try to talk to my wife about this stuff sometimes. (laughs) It's just not happening. So uh, the more people I can talk to about this, the better. And Mike, the good news is, is when you're on the show at least 10 times, then you start getting a salary. So we're, you're, we're getting close. We're getting close with you. So <laughs> IFCI challenge coin, that'll do it. Oh, uh, we could definitely do that. We'll get you more than that, but we should get you a protector's podcast, uh, t-shirt, I think. <laughs> so Mike, again, thank you so much for being on. Like I said, the information you provide to our subscribers, to our listeners is just incredible folks that are out listening uh, to Michael Fascinello. Great information. Hey, keep tuning into our podcast. Please subscribe, go out to uh, iTunes, all the major podcast outlets, go to our website and listen to it because you know what? Knowledge is key. Knowledge is power. And hopefully it will keep you from becoming a fraud victim. Yeah, Mark, I can't wait to part two because I'm starting to get a grasp on cryptocurrency. So this is awesome. So Mike's just a great guy, a great presenter, very knowledgeable on cryptocurrency. So I'm looking forward to part two. No, it's been great to be with you guys. I appreciate it so much. Uh, we'll definitely uh, link my contact info below so your, your listeners can, uh, can get at me if they need to. And uh, I'm happy to be a resource to them whenever I can. And thank you again to you and AmChain AI for uh, coming on the podcast. Thank you, sir. Well, folks, another great podcast, another great guest from Mark Solomon from Connecticut. That's Mark Solomon, international IFCI president, and I'm Mike Carroll, international chairman. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests' opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.